Amen. You may be seated this morning. Take our Bibles this morning to Mark chapter number 1. Mark chapter number 1. I've been doing a lot of firsts when it comes to preaching, and this is another new first. I've done a series through the book of John before, but I picked and choose going through, and I did not go straight through the book. So I've never gone straight through a gospel. So we're going to be going through the gospel of Mark And I'm going to talk to you this morning why and explain. This week, week number one this morning, is going to be a lot of facts about the book and some principles. And then next week, we'll get into more things. So today, you're going to get more of a history of the book, and that'll be a good thing. Our theme for the year is faith in action. And the book of Mark, my sermon series title would be Just Follow Me, Follow Christ. The book of Mark portrays Christ in a different light than any of the other Gospels do. We're going to talk about that this morning, and then you're going to see why, by the end of the message this morning, why this is the book for this year. Some of you might remember that earlier this year, I did a devotional most days, and that was a lot of work. I know some people were like, Pastor, I loved your devotionals. That was a lot to do every day. But if you notice, I did start the book of Mark, but I stopped only on like chapter 3. And I had a few people ask me, Pastor, why did you stop? I didn't explain to them, but I really felt the Lord wanting me to go through this book this year. And if you heard my devotion every day, there's no need to come to church every week in 2021. So I stopped it, so then that way you'd be... And, and so I'm teasing about part of that, but the reason I did stop is because I felt this where the Lord wanted me to be. And when the Lord leads, the best thing to do is follow Him. And that's what we need. We need to just follow Him. Follow his actions. 2020 was a crazy year, and I'll just be honest with you, I think 2021 is still going to be a crazy year. But a Christian doesn't have to live a crazy life. A Christian can be stable in the midst of the craziness. Our theme, just faith in action. People around us need to see Christ in us. It doesn't matter pandemic, no pandemic, anything else, people should see our faith. That's what we're pushing this year. That's our goal. Talk more about that as we get into the message. A few weeks ago, I read a, um, an article, and this article, articles, I think what they do is they give certain titles to them to get you to read it. I wish for sermons and things that I do, I could get catchy titles because I think you might get more people to get in tune with it. But this title of this article was, Is Your Church a Cruise Ship? or an aircraft carrier. And of course, I'm thinking, a cruise ship or an aircraft carrier? We're not a boat. So I had to read it, of course. And man, the story, the, the article was great, and I'm going to read you the article this morning. People who attend cruise ship churches must, like cruise ship passengers, often come to be entertained and catered to by the staff. Very little is expected of these church attendees. In fact, they tend to rate the quality of their experience, the music, the sermon, and the way it made them feel, much like cruise ship passengers rate their satisfaction with various aspects of their trip. Cruise ship churches tend to be internally focused on the needs of their regular attending members. The main goal in these churches, as on a cruise ship, is to keep the customer happy and the complaints to a minimum. Leaders in a cruise ship church focus on the existing members rather than pursuing those 
far from God or encouraging others to do so. Very little of a church's calendar, training, or communication is spent on activities to reach the lost or help those in need outside the church. There are, however, churches that are more like aircraft carriers. These churches are designed to empower all members to find their God-given purpose in life, to equip them and to send them on missions into the world to reach and serve those who do not know Jesus, much like the crew of an aircraft carrier is all about launching military planes and equipping them well to carry out successful missions. Did you know an aircraft carrier is the same size as many cruise ships, housing thousands of people? But what distinguishes an aircraft carrier ship isn't its size, it's the efficiency of the flight deck. The crew on an aircraft carrier can launch a plane every 25 seconds, all in a fraction of the space of a typical landing strip. The mission pervades every aspect of the ship. From the pilot to the person who restocks the ship's vending machines, everyone on the carrier knows his or her particular role and how it supports the mission to equip, prepare, launch, and receive aircraft back from their crucial assignments. An aircraft carrier church has a clear mission that stems from the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Everyone in the church knows why their church exists and plays a role in the mission. Victory Baptist Church needs to be an aircraft carrier church. In all honesty this morning, and it's my job to be honest with you, right? Yeah? We have turned this past several months into a cruise ship carrier. We're focused within and not without. That's not Bible. Far too many people, and you say, Pastor, you're getting with it right away. You either lay it out straight or you just cater to everyone and what they think. And I'm not concerned about what you think today. I'm concerned about what God thinks. And it's my job to give you God's message, not what you want to hear. And if you don't like that, take it up with God. Or go find, actually, you can't find a church that, that does that because they're all closed right now. So you can't find one that will cater to you. So when they open back up, you can go find one that caters to you. But I'm not going to cater to you. I follow God. And 2020, we've turned into a very selfish church, a selfish people centered on self. Why didn't so-and-so reach out to me? Why should a Christian ever say a word like that? Because you're focused on self. We have more problems within in 2020 than we've ever had. Because we're all concerned about each other being, we need to be happy. We need to get on board with the mission, and we need to do what God's called us to do. On an aircraft carrier church, in an aircraft carrier church, there's no time for bickering. We have a mission to do. There are people that need Jesus Christ, and that doesn't change pandemic or no pandemic. It's true today, just like it was nine or ten months ago. But there are a lot of churches that quit doing their mission. And we must be about the Father's business. We must do things his way. And I have a responsibility as your pastor to minister to you and to be there for you. And we, have a, we need to be there for one another. 
but our primary focus is to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out. And if you are missing that, what did God call the church to do? To get the gospel out. That's the Great Commission. And when we are too focused on ourselves, and I, you know, we got to quit having so much social time, and we need to be more about doing the Father's business. We need less activities of fun, and we need more training to do the work of God. Don't cry in here this morning. Don't keep crying. It's okay. We need, and this is the thing. I believe we have the, one of the greatest churches in all the world. I think we have the greatest people in all the world. I wouldn't trade, well, I might trade a few of you for a few, but not, not many. Most of you I would keep as long as the Lord allows me to, and I'm just teasing when I say that. But we have a great church, but we got to move forward in 2021 and make sure God didn't design a church to be a cruise ship. He designed it to carry out a mission, and we must be about the mission that God's called us to. We haven't gotten to Mark yet. We're going to get there in just a minute. By the way, I want to let you know one thing. I'm not against cruise ships. If you want to go on a cruise, go on a cruise, okay? I've never been on one, but I don't like planes, and I don't like water. So someday, maybe, I'll go on one. And I hear the food's good on them. I hear it's great. And I'm not against you going on a cruise. I just don't want our church to become a cruise ship. Does that make sense this morning? I think that makes sense. Sermon series here. We're in the book of Mark. The book of Mark portrays Christ as a servant. And as we go through this, I want you to see several things. Today, one verse, the very first verse. That's it. And then I'm going to give you the background of the book, and that's the message this morning. You're like, we'll be done in about 20 minutes. I'm trying. I've got some New Year's resolutions. Being shorter in my sermons wasn't one of them. So I don't know if that's going to happen this morning. Verse number one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Very interesting to me. The book of Mark starts out different than any of the other gospels. If you were to go to the book of Matthew, The book of Matthew begins by talking about the lineage of Christ and his right to the throne of David because the book of Matthew portrays Christ as the king of the Jews. So it goes through his right to the throne, and that's why you have his birth because a king, you need to know his birth line. You need the story of his birth. You also see how the wise men brought gifts to the king of kings. And so the book of Matthew portrays him as the king of the Jews. The book of Luke starts out talking about before even his birth took place and talks about his mother and goes into greater detail there because the book of Luke portrays Christ as the perfect son of man. And so man, all of us, we have an origin. We have a beginning, right? And so it shows the beginning of Christ the man. And I'll leave that there because you understand what I'm saying. And it goes through the line through his mother And then it shows his birth, and it even gives some details about his early, maybe even teenage years, early years there, that none of the other books do because it's showing him as the perfect son of man. The book of John goes in a completely different direction. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The book of John does not show his birth or talk about it. Because Matthew does, because a king needs his background. A man has a beginning. But in the book of John, Christ is portrayed as the Son of God. He has no beginning. So when everything was beginning, in the beginning, the Word was there. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So is Christ from the very beginning. He's always been and always will be. The book of Mark starts in a different light. 
literally the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why does Mark just begin with that? And then it goes right into John the Baptist, and then it gets right to the calling of the disciples, and it gets right into all the things that Jesus did. Because the book of Mark is written to portray Christ as a servant. As a servant, no one cares about your background. They don't. A servant, they care about what you do. So the book of Mark begins the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word beginning can refer to a cause or head of something. Jesus is the head of all things. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? He is before everything. He is everything. In the beginning was the word. Beginning can also refer to the start of something, like a road. So at a deeper level, Mark is telling us that Jesus is about to begin something brand new. We leave the Old Testament law to grace. We see Christ in a different light than how we see the Old Testament. And it says it's the beginning of the gospel. Gospel means good news. The good news that God provided a sacrifice for us through Jesus and his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's the good news of the gospel. So what we see here is that in the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we see it begins here. We will often say there are four gospels of Jesus. But in all honesty, we say that wrong. We have four accounts of one gospel. It's all about Jesus. I've had a few newer Christians from time to time. And I love, I love newer, I believe a great place to start. If you're a newer Christian, the place for you to start in your Bible is not the book of Leviticus, okay? I don't even recommend starting in Genesis. Because you get through Genesis, halfway through Exodus, it starts getting a little, and you're saying the Bible gets, it gets a little hard to read as a new Christian. I recommend every new Christian begin in the Gospels. My suggestion, I would start with the book of John, and then I'd go to Mark. If you want to, start with Mark. Why? And I, I love that this new Christian came to me a while back, and they're like, Pastor, so did Jesus come to earth like three or four different times? So I, no, I said it's the same story, same Gospel. Four different accounts. And I, don't, I love that someone would even ask that. I love that they're reading and getting in tune with it. I think that's a wonderful thing. But as we look at this today, Mark wastes little time by getting to the identity of his subject. What is his book all about? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We see right away the three names and titles of Christ found in the very first verse. First of all, we see this morning his person. Jesus is his given name, which is Hebrew for Yeshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. Just like the angel of the Lord told Joseph in Matthew 121, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus, his name is descriptive of his mission. What, is, what was Jesus' mission? To save his people from their sins. We see his person. Next, we see his position. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The name Christ 
is the Greek title for Messiah, which means anointed one. The question of Jesus' identity hinges the entire book of Mark. I'm jumping ahead for you this morning, but in Mark chapter number 8, verse 29, this verse changes the rest of the book of Mark. From this verse forward, it's all about the servant Jesus. From this verse to the end of the book, it's all about the Savior Jesus. What's this verse? Mark 8, 29, and he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. The book changes from this point on. It's really the midpoint of the book from all about Jesus as the servant to him being the anointed one. We see his person. We see his position. And we see his power. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This bold title conveys full divine status. Several times in the book of Mark, it stated in chapter 1 and verse number 11, and there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Chapter number 3 and verse number 11, talking about the demons. When they saw him, they fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. The centurion soldier, when he saw Jesus as he died on the cross, it says, and when the centurion, a Roman, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. And we see, as we look at this passage of Scripture, that we see his power. He is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, he came to fulfill his mission to save his people from their sins. As Christ, he's the anointed of God to do the task. And as the Son of God, he has the power to do it. Say, Pastor, we're done this morning. You got through verse number one. Now I want to give you some background about the book of Mark, which will lead us into the future. First thing that we see is this, the person of Mark. Who wrote the book of Mark? Some books of the Bible, there's discussion and people have disagreements on who could have written it. Use Hebrews for an example. I think you can clearly see, I believe Paul is the human instrument that God used. There are many people who see it differently. You can say, who's right, who's wrong? Who knows? It's not something I'm going to go argue with someone about. And, you know, I say you can ask God in heaven, but at the end of the day, when you see Jesus in heaven, I don't think you're going to be really too worried about it. We know that it's all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God wrote his word. God used human instruments to pen his word. John Mark is the man who wrote the book of Mark. It's very well known, and no one argues this fact. And it's interesting, his official name is John Mark. John was his Hebrew name, which means the grace of God. And Marcus was his Roman name, which means the hammer. So you call him a graceful hammer, or the holy hammer. There you go. Isn't that interesting? His name means hammer, and someone would use that to work, right? There's books about being a servant. It's amazing how all that goes together, but I won't spend a lot of time on that. His mother's name was Mary. She owned a big house in Jerusalem. In fact, many believe that the upper room used for the Last Supper was Mary's house, John Mark's mom. 
John Mark also had a cousin. And anybody know his cousin's name? Barnabas. Barnabas was his cousin. Now, John Mark was not one of the 12 disciples or apostles. But something that's very interesting is we know what we know about John Mark, we see in uh, the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas, so Barnabas, the cousins of John Mark, they were great missionaries. Probably the greatest missionary tandem ever, Paul and Barnabas. But we'll just say it wasn't always easy to be a missionary. You think you have a heart, and we have a heart in Christianity today and in America, it's nothing, nothing. We're going to owe a lot of people apologies for our weak Christianity and all that they went through. But anyways, John Mark decides to, it was too much, and he turns away and leaves. He forsakes them. Say, how could he do that? Why didn't he stay with them? Don't judge him too harshly, because most of us wouldn't have handled it either very well. And I, I would hope that I would stay, but I can't go too hard on John Mark because there are a lot of things that took place. Read Acts chapter 13 and just read the whole story of what took place. Later on, Paul and Barnabas are going to go on another missionary journey. As they get ready to go on the missionary journey, Barnabas is like, hey, Paul. I'm speaking in English, so it sounds a little different than what it does in the Bible there because they go from Greek. Hey, Paul, let's take John Mark with us. I think he's ready to go again. And Paul's like, you want to bring the quitter? He couldn't, he couldn't even handle it. Why are we going to bring him again? And Barnabas, I really think we should bring him. And the contention was so strong between Paul and Barnabas, they split ways. Paul and Silas carry out their next missionary journey. Barnabas takes John Mark, and you never hear of Barnabas again in the Bible. Let me give you a little thought here that has nothing to do with the sermon, but something that could be, that's good for us. Barnabas did a lot of great things. Every Christian should desire to be like Barnabas. He's mentioned only a few times in the Bible, but the few times that he's mentioned, Acts chapter number four, the church needed things, he sold some possessions, and he helped the church. Saul gets saved on Damascus Road. And he tells the disciples, I'm saved now. I want to be one of you. How would you and I react to that? You've been persecuting Christians and you're wreaking havoc on the church and you magically get saved on this road somewhere and now you want to come to our little headquarters. You want to be with us? No thanks. Who came right alongside Paul? Barnabas did. Hey, disciples, I've seen this guy, Paul. I've seen the change in his life. I've seen what God's doing. We need to accept him. You know, there probably would be no Apostle Paul without Barnabas. John, Mark, and Barnabas, we don't know what happened to him. We never hear about Barnabas again. But Paul, at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse number, whatever the verse is, you can put it up there for me, Joe. Yeah, 4.11. Paul says, only Luke is with me. Luke was a physician. Luke is the one who wrote the book of Luke. And uh, he says, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Hold it, Paul. You said this earlier in your life that you didn't want nothing to do with it. And you, you know, the contention was so great between you and Barnabas, you guys split ways. And now at the end, you're saying, John Mark is profitable. Bring him. 
Barnabas did a great work in John Mark's life and encouraged him. Every Christian should be a Barnabas. You know, sometimes we're concerned about the big name. None of us should be concerned about having a big name. We're supposed to promote the big name of Jesus Christ. We need people who be like Barnabas. You know, Barnabas doesn't get much recognition. But let's be honest this morning. There would be no Paul without Barnabas. There would be no John Mark without Barnabas. Say, who is right between Paul and Barnabas in their argument? Not going to go there because both of them are far better Christians than I'll ever be. And Paul had his reasons, and I don't know why he had his reasons, but all I know is God's will was done, and John Mark got back in the race. And aren't you glad that God gives us second chances and third chances? We will all fail him. But that doesn't mean you got to stop. You can get back up. Your Christianity is not measured by being perfect because you'll never be perfect. Our Christianity is measured by when you get down, you get back up. A just man falls seven times and riseth up again. That's what it's about. And so as we look here this morning, we see the book of Mark. We see it was written by John Mark. We look at his person and I love the, and it's interesting that Paul, that, let's see, I skipped a little bit of my notes because I was getting carried away talking about Barnabas there. One of the other things that we know about John Mark is the fact that he was highly influenced by Peter. If you read 1 Peter chapter number 5, and Peter basically calls John Mark his son in the ministry. So these firsthand accounts that are given in the gospel of Mark are in all ways, it's Peter's edition of the gospel through Mark. You'll notice that in, at the end of the book, this is the only book. Remember how after Peter denies the Lord, that the Lord says, that the angel says, go tell the disciples and tell Peter? That's mentioned in Mark only because Mark was highly influenced by Peter. So a lot of the things that we read is Peter's account through Mark's pen. It was pretty interesting to note. And I love the fact that God could take a denier like Peter and use him the way that he did. And God could take a fleer. Does that sound right? Yeah, fleer. He fled, went back home in John Mark, and could still use him. If God could use them, God can use us today. And I'm thankful for that. We see the person is John Mark. We see what's the purpose of the book of Mark. The purpose. Do you ever feel angry when you consider what's happening in our culture today? I do. And I, I think it's more righteous anger that I have than anything. And let's make sure we, let's make sure we understand something, too. I, I am an American through and through, and I love this country. I do. But before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. And my allegiance is to God, number one. Be very careful that you don't put your love for America on the same level as your love for God, because they're not the same thing. God needs to be foremost of everything. Do not get me wrong, I love this country. I'm sad to see the stuff that's going on in our country today. I want my children to be raised up to honor that flag. That when the national anthem is played, they put their hand over their heart and they stand for it. 
every time. I purposely, and I might be a little weird, you probably, some of you probably think I'm weird, I don't play the national anthem in my car when I'm driving. Or I'll turn it off if the ball game's on and they're playing at the beginning. You say, why? I can't stand to put my hand over my heart. That's why I don't listen to it, unless I can stand and put my hand over my heart. I want my children to love this country, and I'm thankful for it. So don't get me wrong when I say those things. But much more than that, I want them to love God and to follow God. And sometimes I think that people think, at the end of the day, it's not my job to save America. It's my job to get the gospel out. But at the end of the day, that's the only hope that America has is the gospel. So it goes hand in hand. But this nationalism that has creeped into a lot of churches, you've got to be very careful with it. And I'm just saying that that's just something to keep in mind. I don't like where our society's headed. You heard about the House of Representatives, the fact that they're taking all the pronouns out, right? He, she, all those different things, and everything's going to be gender neutral in the House of Representatives now. I don't think that that's a wise thing to do. I get very saddened when I look at our culture. I get angry about it. I also see before our eyes that Christianity is being marginalized in our secular society. And you just wait before very long in this country, it's going to be a hate speech to preach the Bible. It is headed that way. And it's going to get to that point. But I'll just remind you, like I always do, I'm not here to be politically correct. I'm just here to be biblically correct. That's where I stand on it. We love all people. We're for all people. We're for them getting to Jesus Christ. Something, the setting of the book of Mark, it was a rough time for Christianity. There was a fire that broke out. Some of you that know history well, there was a huge fire that broke out in Rome. And probably the emperor Nero was behind the fire himself, historians will tell us. But this fire that broke out in Rome, what did Nero do? He blamed Christians for the fire. And persecution was unleashed on Christians because of it. This is the setting of the book of Mark. Mark is encouraging a minority group of people to live the mission just like their master did, no matter how difficult it may become. They need to be reminded in their day that even if the world looked like and seemed like it was falling apart, God would still work through their witness. And may I just tell you today, we are called to live holy lives in an increasingly hostile environment. When we suffer, we must remember that our Savior suffered. And when we get angry and afraid, we must keep serving those around us just like Jesus did. Fellow shipmates, as our society continues towards Sodom, following Christ will become harder and harder, and it will cost you. But it's worth it. The Gospel of Mark could probably be read in about 90 minutes. And it contains a lot of statements to help recalibrate us in order to live the mission that God's called us to. 
It's time the people of God wake up. It's time that we live the mission that the Lord's given us. It's time for some of you teenagers to start living for God. You know what's right, and it's time you start doing it. Maybe this series in the book of Mark will help you do it. You're going to stand before God someday, and you're going to give an account for yourself. And to whom much is given, the Bible says much is required. That's Bible. Start living for God today. It's worth it. The purpose of Mark was to keep the focus in the right place, even in the midst of the hard time going on in the world. Which leads us to number three, some of the peculiarities of Mark. This is going to be the end of the sermon here, so we've only got about seven or eight of them to look at. But just some things. What's unique about Mark that you don't see in the other Gospels? We'll run through these quickly, and then I'll give you a few closing thoughts, and then this morning we'll have the Lord's Supper. The first one is this letter A. Mark focuses more on the works of Jesus and less on his words. If you notice the book of Luke, it's all about parables, parable after parable after parable after parable. The book of Mark, there are only four parables mentioned, and 19 miracles take place in the book of Mark. And the four parables that are given in the book of Mark are on the theme of servanthood. So Mark focuses more on the works of Jesus and less on his words. Secondly, the language that Mark uses is emotive and often abrupt. Chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus deeply sighed. He was moved with compassion in chapter number 6. In chapter 6, he was marveled at their unbelief. In chapter 3, he looked around in anger. And at the same time, and he saw a rich young ruler in chapter 10, and Jesus looked at him, he loved him. It's just, there's a lot of emotion showed about Jesus in this book that you don't see in other places. We also see that people had a strong reaction to Jesus. Do you notice no one was ever passive when it came to Jesus? They either loved him or they hated him. And it's the same way today. You think about it, either people were angered by him or they were astonished by him. They either fought against him or they put their faith in him. And that's how it is in our world today. I find in the book of Mark 15 individuals that came to him that you don't see in other books, in the other Gospels. And you'll check out there are 12 reactions that people had to Jesus. I've listed those for you there. You can look through those. They were all amazed, and they questioned among themselves. They were filled with great fear. He ran and fell down before him. That was the maniac of Gadara. Then they were overcome with amazement, and many who heard him were astonished. They took offense at him, for they all saw him and were terrified, and they were utterly astonished. The people ran about the whole region, and they were astonished beyond measure. They were amazed and afraid, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished. You see all these different things, they marveled at him. Everyone has a reaction to Jesus. What's your response to Jesus? Have you decided to follow him? What's your reaction to what he's done in your life? We see letter C. We see that Jesus acts quickly to meet needs. This is seen differently in the book of Mark than in the other Gospels. You'll notice the words used in Mark immediately and straightway. 
42 times. An example, the book of Luke mentions um, immediately seven times. And it's a much larger book, and it's 42 times in the book of Mark. You'll also notice that two-thirds of the verses in the book of Mark begin with the word and, which shows how he went about doing the work. Someone said it like this, that Mark's been called a moving picture of the ministry of Jesus. You'll notice in chapter number 1, look at verse number 10, and straightway coming up out of the water. You look at verse number 12, and immediately. You look at verse number 18, and straightway they forsook. Verse 20, and straightway he called them. Verse 21, and when they went, you see the word in in Capernaum, and straightway. Verse number 23, and there was in their synagogue, uh, is it verse 23? There's a different verse anyways, but you see them all there before your eyes. The point of it is this. Jesus acts quickly to meet needs. So think about this. Jesus did this. Straightway he went here, and he did this, and he did this, and immediately he did this, and then he did this. That's how the book is set up. And something that's very interesting, you look at how Peter lived his life, you can totally just see these immediate and straightway, and the word and, it's totally Peter style. But Jesus acted quickly to meet the needs of others. The next thing we see, letter D, is Mark holds up the cost of discipleship even though the disciples fall short. Mark holds up the cost of discipleship, even though the disciples fall short. Mark 8, 34, the Bible tells us, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But then you'll see over and over again his own disciples, there were times where they fell down. And I love how Jesus, even in the midst of them failing, he came alongside and got them going again. Chapter 4, they were in the storm, and they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? They just didn't get who he was. He made the storm, and he was on the boat with them. And their faith failed them. See, you got to understand when it comes to discipleship and what we're supposed to do with the Lord, we're called to be his followers. Jesus is calling us to take up our cross, which means to go as condemned criminals to our death. We're supposed to take up our cross daily, the Scripture says. Um, Someone worded it like this, following Christ means taking up your cross daily, which means little sacrifices made repeatedly. And I'm so glad that when we mess up, he's there to pick us up. But we need to pick up our cross and carry it next thing that we see, and we've only got a couple more, is Mark is a missionary book. Say, what do you mean by a missionary book? Mark takes out words and things. Like in the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew was written to the Jews. So there's a lot of things in the book of Matthew that uh, someone who was not a Jew wouldn't fully understand. There are things written in the book of Mark where if you lived in Rome, he omits some things so that a Roman could understand the gospel. He explains some Jewish traditions in Mark chapter number 7 and customs that you wouldn't normally have to explain. Say, why does Mark do these things? He does it. The bottom line is he's all about making the gospel accessible to those considered outsiders. And we must do the same. 
We cannot focus inwardly. That's where all the problems come from. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. We must remember that the church is the only organization in the world that exists for the benefits of the non-members. I'll repeat that for you. We must remember the church is the only organization in the world that exists for the benefits of its non-members. Getting the gospel to those around us. You know, Costco doesn't, if you don't have a membership, you can't go in. That's how most, that's how most organizations work. That's not how a church is supposed to work. We're supposed to be going to them. That's what Jesus did. That's what the book of Mark is all about. A lot of times churches are concerned about their seating capacity. Where I think the better metric to count is our sending capacity. The beginning of the book, the first verse says this. What does it say? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the last verse says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's God's plan. Next, Mark emphasizes, or his emphasis is on the last week of Jesus' life. The events surrounding his death, burial, and resurrection make up 40% of Mark's manuscript. Some have called Mark's um, gospel a passionate narrative with an extended introduction. Jesus was born to die, and his death was not a tragic accident, but part of God's plan from the very beginning. And Jesus is our selfless servant and our suffering Savior. Ken Hughes, in his commentary on Mark, he tells about a world-renowned scholar of classic literature. I probably mispronounced his last name there, but Dr. E.V. Rayu, R-I-E-U. He's known for his fantastic translation of Homer's Odyssey into modern English for Penguin Classics. Almost his entire life, he was an agnostic. And Penguin publishers approached him at the end of his career, still an agnostic, and asked him to translate the Gospels. That raised some eyebrows because people were wondering how an agnostic scholar could translate Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When they asked Rayu's son, or when he heard about it, he had a great reaction. This was his reaction, Rayu's son. It'll be interesting to see what my father will make of the four Gospels. Then he paused, and he said, it'll be even more interesting to see what the four Gospels will make of my father. It didn't take very long into the translating that Rayu came face-to-face with Christ and became a committed Christian. His story is testimony to the transforming power of the Word of God. Mark's gospel that we're about to embark on will equip us to live the mission that God's given to us. Hey, church, let's get out of our patterns of self-absorption. Let's get out of our self-centeredness and serve like never before as we draw from our Savior how to live. That's why the book of Mark. This is the year for our faith to show through. Hey, Christian, this is the year to get in your Bible. Say, Pastor, you talk about the Bible over and over. Do you read it? 
If everyone read it, I'll quit talking about it. But I know not everyone reads it. Read your Bible. I've said before, you don't have to do 500 pages a day. Blessed is the man, the Bible talks about, that walked not in the counsel of the godly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And the next verse says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in the season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I always, when I think of that verse, I think of driving up the 71 from the 91. You look in that dam area over there, and all the trees are nice and green because there's water. Look on the left side of the road. There's no water. In fact, there was a fire a while back. Most Christians live that dry, barren life because they don't get what they need from the Word of God. We need the Word of God. Hey, read your Bible this year. Read it every day. Spend time in it. You watch television every day. You eat every day. Get some spiritual food in you. And I'm not saying do read the whole thing in a week. If you can, good, great, wonderful. Read something. We start a Bible reading plan through version. I've got three different ones I'm doing, one with the teenagers, one with the adult, well, two with the adults. One is a little shorter, one a little longer. One you could read through the Bible in a year, one you just read one chapter a day, and the teens is about one chapter a day. Some of you, you couldn't read the entire Bible through in a year because you got, you got to start somewhere. When I started walking last year, I didn't walk eight miles day one. I started with a mile. I started jogging a few weeks ago. My goal at the beginning was to go one mile jogging. Even if jogging meant this, that was good enough for me, just one mile. And last night, I did three and a half without stopping. It grows. Don't jump on board and get discouraged. Start small and increase. Not only read your Bible, pray. We need God. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We talk about putting on the whole armor of God. What's verse number 18? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Prayer is key. Prayer is vital in the Christian life. And yet it's the last thing we do. Hey, read your Bible. Just read your Bible. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Read your Bible. Pray. Be faithful to church. I know I'm speaking to the choir this morning. We're in the middle of COVID. I get it. There are some people I get. You might need to not be around all the time. I get it. You do what God leads you to do. And we'll talk about COVID in a minute. I'm going to go there. Just hold on. It's coming in a minute. Be faithful. Some of you can do everything you want to during the week, but I can't go to church. Yeah, you can. You can. You really can. Be faithful to God. I know COVID is still around. And those watching online, those saying in this service, there are a lot of Christians that are getting fearful again. God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Fear does not come from God. Let me give you a little thought. 
and I'm going to give you this thought, and then I'm going to soften it up with a little stuff to soften it when I'm done giving you this thought. You're going to die when it's your time to die no matter what you do. There's nothing you can do to change or add one day of life to your life. People will tell me, oh, pastor, you lost all that weight, 85 pounds, you're going to live longer. That's not true. I'm not going to live one day longer than God wants me to. God has my expiration date, and I'm a firm believer in that. And we got Christians who are panicking. Get rid of your fear. Trust God. But also be wise in the things that you do. Now, why did I lose weight? I don't know how many years God's going to give me. But I think being lighter as I get older will make me be able to move a little better in my older years if I'm here. It's just wisdom. If it's wise for you to avoid crowds or do different things, be wise in what you do, but that doesn't mean you fear. The Lord's on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Fear does not come from God. And when fear is the focus, God is out of focus. You either have fear or you have faith. You don't have both. And don't tell me that you have faith when you have fear. That doesn't mean not to be cautious. And let me just give you a little thought, too. There are some people in our church that this is, we have the spectrum all the way around. We have those who think COVID is a death sentence for them. And we have people in the church who think COVID is a government conspiracy and absolutely nothing. And then we have people in the middle. Way more people recover than die. Remember that. I would be in the middle. But be nice to those in church who might be one extreme or the other. You know, now is not the time to go around and be in someone's face and just hug them. Let's be smart. That's just not smart. It's, not, it's also not being loving your neighbor, I don't think. Because you'll have some people, I have some people who don't want to come right now because they're fearful someone's going to come up and hug them. Now, if they, if they feel that way, maybe they should just stay home for a while. And I'm not, and that's one thing. But just be, be smart in your actions with people. If you notice, I talk to people at church. I do. But I'm never, I'm never, how are you doing today? <laughs> you doing good? And I saw it last week. I'm just going to give you an example. I saw someone, there's someone in our church, I know that they're a little bit more cautious with things. And someone came up. Hey, and they're right there. I'm like, why? Just give them a little space. Say, but I'm not going to care. Just be nice to people, okay? Some people don't have the faith that you have, or you're too much of a conspiracy theorist anyways, but we won't even go down that road. But just be nice. But also don't fear. God does not want you to fear. And the government, the news, all those things want you to fear. 2.2 million people live in San Bernardino County. 1,700 are in the hospital. Let's say 1% of 2.2 million is 22,000. So you're basically 1 15th or 1 16th of 1% are in the hospital. And of those in the hospital, there are 300 and something that are in the ICU. The numbers are very small there. Certain people need to be, be careful, be wise in the things that you do, but don't live in fear. And then, just the thing, you're going to have people who are fearful. Be good to them. Love them where they're at. 
Be compassionate on them. That's what Jesus would do. Be considerate to them. Don't go give them a big hug right now. Like, I want to, don't, just don't do it. Just be smart. Be nice to people. But let's be committed to God this year. Go to church. Those of you watching online, as soon as you can, get back to church. It does not, you cannot tell me you're growing as much at home as you would be being in this place. We need church. Church is important. Let's show our faith by our giving. I mentioned last week I'd say it twice, and you're not going to hear it again. I did something I've never done in 10 years of pastoring. I went through the giving records of our church. Say, you shouldn't have done it. Then you should be giving because you're the ones who are saying that. If I'm being generous, 30% of our church tithes, if I'm generous. I'd say it's more like 25%. Almost 50% of those that come don't even, didn't give anything this last year, nothing. A man last week donated $150 to our church that's never stepped foot in our church one time. We all have a job to do, and this church is not here to get rich, okay? It's not. But we got to do the work of God. I mentioned it last week, and I'll mention it again. You know one of the reasons why Brother Jay and his family are not staying? He was offered a full-time salary. If the church, if we gave like we should, if we all, we could have kept him. And in all honesty, in the next few months, we need to get a staff member in, a full-time staff member. If everyone gave and tithed in the church, there would be no school tuition. Did you know that? We wouldn't need to charge in our Christian school. Everyone would go for free. We wouldn't have any need for it. Say, why do we have to have school tuition? Because people don't give. That's why. You're missing out on the blessings of this. And it comes down to faith. And let me just say this morning, you say, well, pastor, my faith is very weak in this area right now. Start somewhere small. Just start somewhere. Give God something. You say, well, pastor, I'm kind of embarrassed that you saw my, don't be embarrassed. You should be embarrassed that God knows it already. That's what should bother you. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's at. And when we take care of self and we take care of all these other things and we give God nothing, it shows what really matters. Imagine how many more missionaries we could support if 50% of the church gave instead of 30. Let's just do our part. I told you I'd mention it two weeks. You're not going to hear it again from me, at least for a long time. You can't say never. You can't say never. I've said never on a lot of things before, and then it happens, right? You know, so it could happen again someday, but let's just follow God. Let's live out our faith. You see the different things, real faith. That's what we need. We need growing faith. We need living faith. We need to have steadfast faith, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of God. We need unwavering faith. And I wish I could remember the two in the side room, but I don't. Sound faith. Our doctrine should matter, and we need active faith. That's our theme for the year. Faith in action. Father, I pray that you'd just bless our church, bless our people. Help us live out what you've called us to be.